Welcome to Under the Bleachers. This is a podcast that explores all things sports, all things queer, and the fabulous intersection where queer and sports meet. This podcast is brought to you by Team DC, the nonprofit association of LGBTQ sports and recreation organizations in the Washington, D.C. area. I'm Laura. I'm on the board of Team DC. I've played and loved sports my entire life, and I've played with the DC Furies and Rogue Darts. And I'm Gabe. I'm also on the board of Team DC and I'm a diehard sports fan. I've played with many of the Team DC sports member leagues, including the DC GFFL, Stonewall Kickball, Rogue Darts, Kara Bowling, and recently the Washington Scandals Rugby Football Club. And I also do a little drag on the side. We hope you enjoy this week's trip under the bleachers. Welcome everyone, Laura and Gabe here. It's November 23rd and you're listening to episode 23 of Under the Bleachers. This week it's Laura's turn to choose our topics. For our discussion of all things queer, she chose a new HRC report about the epidemic of violence against trans and non-binary people. For our sports topic, we'll talk about the NBA draft. And for the intersection of sports and queer, we'll discuss more legal challenges on behalf of track star Castor Semenya. After that, we're going to share our interview with Team DC Member Club, Capital Tennis Association. Team DC has partnered with Nelly's Sports Bar for an initiative to provide free lunch to DC essential workers. The first lunch went out last week to workers at the DC Board of Elections and was sponsored by Team DC and Member Club's Adventuring DC Strokes, Washington DC Gay Basketball League, Gay Hockey DC, and Lambda Links. If you or your organization want to participate, Team DC is collecting donations of $50 or more, and you can contact Brent at brent at teamdc.org for more details. Team DC board elections are coming up in January. The positions up for election are president, outreach, marketing, social media, fundraising, and external relations. To learn more about Team DC and its board, visit teamdc.org. And if you're interested in running, please contact Les at less at teamdc.org for more information. Laura and I will keep bringing you new episodes of Under the Bleachers every Monday on underthebleachers.podbean.com and on your favorite podcast apps, including Apple, Google, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast and share us with a friend. Okay, let's get started. Here's Laura with our first topic in this week's trip under the bleachers. My topic in the world of all things queer this week is the HRC report titled An Epidemic of Violence, Fatal Violence Against Transgender and Gender Nonconforming People in the United States in 2020. Last week was Transgender Awareness Week and last Friday was Transgender Day of Remembrance. HRC released its report on Thursday, the day before the Day of Remembrance. The report states that as of its preparation, at least 36 trans and gender nonconforming people had lost their lives to violence in the US in 2020, the most recorded in a single year since HRC began tracking these deaths in 2013. That number has grown to 37 last week with with the death of Miami entertainer Uni Carey, who was stabbed to death Tuesday and whose partner has been charged with second degree murder. Since January 2013, HRC has documented more than 200 transgender and gender nonconforming people who were victims of fatal violence. Two thirds of those known victims have been black women and nearly 60% of known fatalities have involved a firearm. This fatal violence affects trans and gender nonconforming people nationwide with HRC and advocates tracking cases of fatal violence since 2013 across 113 cities and towns in 33 states the District of Columbia, and Puerto Rico. 
In a press release announcing the report, HRC President Alfonso David said, quote, divisive and dehumanizing rhetoric from anti-equality political leaders has contributed to the toxic mix of racism, sexism, and transphobia that drives this horrific violence. It's on all of us to fight for change at every level and take action to support trans and gender nonconforming people. We must work to dismantle the stigma that so many in the trans and gender nonconforming community face and bring this violence to an end. We recently commemorated Transgender Awareness Week, an annual event that is dedicated to illuminating both the progress and unfinished work in the fight for transgender and non-binary equality. With all of this violence, there can be no doubt that there is still a lot of work to be done. Gabe, did you get a chance to look at the HRC report or have any thoughts that you wanted to share? Yeah, I did look at the report and um, it's kind of, it's, it's amazing uh, that this is still a problem and it's actually getting worse. Uh, every year, it seems like more and more uh, trans individuals are being attacked or being murdered and we still haven't found a way to stop it or slow it down. Yeah, I mean, the numbers were the highest this year that they've ever been. And I think it's fair, um, a safe assumption that um, underreporting of this type of violence is a huge problem for a variety of reasons. And so it's even more alarming because I think we have to assume that the numbers are actually even bigger than what we know. And yet the reported cases still go up and up each year. It's truly horrifying. That's that's a tough thing because uh, you know I, I I wouldn't know exactly but you know I'm assuming maybe that a, you know a trans individual would have a hard time kind of reporting something like this to the authorities and to the police because they're also afraid that you know maybe the police might not be as sympathetic because they are transgender. Yeah, well, I mean, this report specifically relates to victims of fatal violence. So the victim in these, all these cases is dead. So couldn't report it themselves if they wanted to. And it then comes down to how does the news media report the story? How do the police record the information or law enforcement record the information? And, you know, I think it's, you know, obviously I don't have proof, but I, I think it's a fair assumption that a lot of these people um, aren't necessarily identified as transgender in the paperwork. Um, they probably are dead named or identified by um, the gender that they were assigned at birth in a lot of cases. And it wouldn't necessarily get picked up by something like this. So, you know, that's a real problem, I'm sure. And I don't know, this really is an epidemic. We've talked about it a few times, but, you know, there are certainly things that can be done. Um, I mean, leaders at all levels, um, political for sure, but not just political, business leaders, leaders in workplaces, leaders um, in community organizations, leaders, leaders in churches, people that are looked up to and, and set a tone um, can make a big difference, right, in the, in the lives of people. So those are the people who need to be educated and persuaded um, to learn how to treat transgender people with more respect and to speak about them with more respect, more acceptance and to end the stigma because that's how the communities will start to change. Um, and I think, you know, you know, this is something that it's a matter of life and death for so many people and we really need to start impressing upon people that 
if you're in a position of leadership, if you're somebody that people listen to, that people look up to, it's your job to start talking about this and talking about it in a way that's going to help bring an end to this violence. And it's one of those tough things that we as a community have to think back and see how our actions are actually affecting the transgender community. I mean, I've, I've talked to some of my friends who are transgender and seen, you know, videos and reports on the news where it's, you know, their own community attacking them, which I think is just, it makes it even worse. Like I've seen videos where it's like people of color attacking trans people of color. Right. You know, yeah, no, it's, it's a lot it's, it's of um, violence within the community. And and even if it's um, even not rising to the level of violence, there's also just a whole segment of the LGBTQ community that doesn't um, think that the that our trans um, brothers and sisters are important, that they don't need um, the same level of protections or worse. You know, I've heard gay people talk about the trans community as if they should sit down and shut up because they're making it more difficult for gay people to get more rights. You know, they're kind of saying like, well, if we didn't have to worry about these fringe issues like trans rights, then we'd get a lot farther. And it's like, it's not a fringe issue. This is life and death for so many people. Um, and we need, and you know, we need to recognize that um, there's no justice for any of us until there's justice for all of us. So we have to, you know, remember to include um, everybody under our tent as we move for equality and move for respect and move for justice for our community. No, yeah, I totally agree. We have to, you know, not forget every member of the LGBT community. Uh, we're all in this together. And if someone's getting hurt and someone's getting oppressed, we have to be there for them. And we just can't say, oh, okay, well, I'm not part of that community, so uh, I don't worry, have to worry about them. I mean, that's basically what everybody else, we're trying to stop. Yeah. And the next time, you know, you find yourself making some comment about how you don't want girly boys in the bathroom with your girls in the public restrooms with your girls or something like that, you know, all of these tropes that have no basis in reality, but that people use them as excuses to justify being bigoted and, and trying to treat trans women without respect and not include them as full members of society, you're contributing to deadly violence. It's not, it doesn't just end with your bad joke or your bad political position about a certain, um, th about a certain specific thing. It creates an all-around stigma of around trans people and it creates false narratives about the danger of trans people and everything else. And all of this contributes to what is an epidemic of deadly violence. And the blood is on the hands of every person who continues to perpetuate these, um, these notions of anti-trans uh, phobia. So, you know, Everybody needs to think about that and get their shit right because this is starting to get um, really embarrassing, honestly, that it keeps being in your face year after year, the numbers just going up and up and we're not, we're not doing anything to, to make it better. I mean, I'm glad we have it, but it's kind of sad that we still have to have a transgender day of remembrance to remember all of those that have passed away, you know, in the just last this year. year. Yeah. This year. <laughs> it's it's awful it's it yeah that's that's really kind of horrifying because it's yeah we have to remember all those that have passed away that in some way we could have helped stop 
Yeah. What happened? And you know, the other thing with Transgender Awareness Week just coming to an end and the Trans Day of Remembrance is very important. And this is like, you know, obviously we're talking about this because this is hugely important, but we also should remember that the Transgender Awareness Week is also about celebrating the trans community and all the great um, achievements and accomplishments of the trans community. There have been huge strides. Um, both in you know the arts the world of the arts this year there have been so many more roles for trans people and trans people um showing their talents there's also been a record number of out trans candidates elected to public office this year so you know there's also just a lot to be happy about and to be celebrated and we should spread the stories of these popular and successful people who happen to be trans because by doing that you know you normalize it and that's ultimately that's the the goal is for everybody in America to see trans folk as just other people not see them as you know outliers or some something different to be wary of or um, afraid of. And since not everybody who lives in middle America necessarily knows a trans person and might never meet a trans person, who knows, um, or know that they have, you know, they may very well know a trans person and not be aware that the person is trans. Um, but because of all that, the way we kind of reach people is by elevating the profiles of the public, public persona, um, the people in the public who are trans. And so, you know, if you never meet, get to meet a trans person, you might just fall in love with Laverne Cox because she's a phenomenal actress or um, think that Sarah McBride is pretty cool for running for uh, the state Senate in Delaware. And that's might be how you realize that trans people are just like everybody else without getting a chance to necessarily meet one. Oh yeah, just, uh, you know, let our listeners know and everybody else that, you know, just get yourself educated you know, read some articles from trusted sources, uh, look at different nonprofits and organizations in your area. I know here in DC, we have Casa Ruby, we have other places where you can go and actually learn about, you know, what is actually going on. Yep, and you can go to the HRC website and find the information about the report that they just put out. They also have all kinds of resources relating to trans rights and trans people. There are resources for educators who want to be more trans inclusive in the classroom. And there's information available on the HRC website about employers and policies that employers can uh, use to make a workplace more trans inclusive. So there's a lot of great resources out there. We all just have to decide that it's important enough to go use them. Totally agree. All right. Well, so now for my sports topic, let's talk about the NBA draft. The NBA draft happened last week. For the first time since 2013, the NBA draft did not start at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. Instead, the first round included a virtual telecast with prospective draftees waiting anxiously from their respective homes. Hmm. And for the first time in a very long time, there was no real consensus number one pick in the draft. The field was lacking in an obvious instant impact star that every team could use. With the top three picks, the Minnesota Timberwolves picked shooting guard Anthony Edwards from Georgia. The Golden State Warriors selected center James Wiseman from Memphis and the Charlotte Hornets drafted point guard LaMelo Ball, a 19-year-old graduate of Chino Hills High School who spent last year playing professional basketball in Australia. Uh, so Gabe, the NBA draft was pretty weird this year for me, um, not least of which is because we didn't have March Madness this year, which is often where I become aware of a lot of the college stars that are going to be in the next draft. Um, 
you know, who are at schools that I don't normally follow. Like I don't normally watch a Georgia basketball game. So where I normally would learn about Anthony Edwards would be during uh, March Madness. And that didn't happen last year. So everything was a little bit weird. But uh, did you have any uh, reactions to anything that happened at the draft? Um, I thought it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was kind of interesting because there was kind of like a spread. I mean, you, you really, you saw some of these players before. Uh, but yeah, because there was no March Madness, we couldn't really say, okay, this person, you know, make a prediction of who's going to be your number one pick. Uh, I'm glad for my San Antonio Spurs. We have uh, Devin Vassell from Florida. Um, I know Washington uh, here locally, people were very excited about, um, I'm probably going to butcher his name. I think it's Denny Avija, oh, the one star from, Austra- from Israel. From, uh... Israel. Wait, oh, okay. Wait, I thought you were, yes. But wasn't there a um, a kid what's his name there was a kid who didn't get drafted by uh the wizards but who was from he's a local from uh, damatha i think who went in the first round i and i saw a lot of watch parties in the area with people super excited for him which is always nice you know i mean it's so weird for me watching these things because like <laughs> i remember growing up and like i grew up in syracuse college basketball was really big in syracuse and we used to have like the when i was like in middle school or even like younger the college would send some of their players to like come and talk to the classrooms and stuff. And it was so exciting. And you looked at these guys and they were like larger than life. And they seemed like adults, you know, to a 11 year old, a 12 year old. <laughs> but now I look at them and I'm like, these children are professional <laughs> basketball players. This is crazy. They're like, I mean, I think LaMelo ball is, yeah, he's 19. I, I it, it blows my mind, you know, to think, um, that these kids, most of them are like 20 or 21 at the very oldest. And <laughs> it's wild. But yeah, the draft is super weird this year just because everything about sports is super weird this year. Um, but I'm glad, you know, maybe I'll watch a little more NBA next year. I've kind of gotten away from the NBA in recent years for no good reason, really. Um, I love basketball. And so I don't know, you know, I guess I just got busy or something and didn't watch as much basketball. I also don't have a, I I don't have like a specific team that I love as much as like for my other sports. I always kind of have been a Philadelphia 76ers fan because I was really into Charles Barkley as a kid. Um, But, you know, obviously Charles Barkley hasn't played with the Philadelphia 76ers in a million years (laughs) and the 76ers haven't been particularly good and I, in all my other sports, really don't like Philadelphia fans. So it's really hard to reconcile <laughs> with myself for that. So What's wrong with punching a horse? <laughs> Listen, I, okay. Well, I'm going to, uh, we'll see. I'm going to see if I can watch a little more basketball this year. Yeah. Can I uh, interest you in the San Antonio Spurs with their fancy new amazing fiesta? gear that they're wearing this season no i'm not gonna watch uh professional athletes parade around in um turquoise and pink it's just not gonna happen it's amazing the city went crazy the coyote debuted like the new flag and the new state the new uh floor um san antonio's excited come on uh well you know i also haven't had anything to get excited for in a few years so well i will say charles barkley when i was a kid i also um was a big fan of david robinson so i've always i've always sort of had a soft spot for the spurs so maybe maybe i'll check them out we'll see (laughs) i'm interested to see if 
LaMelo Ball's father continues to be the biggest sideshow in the NBA um, <laughs> that he's been the last couple of years. So we'll, we'll check that out. Yeah, so I'm happy to see that basketball is finally, you know, getting their gears together. We'll be starting the season in a few weeks. Just insane, because didn't we just finish it? Yes, no, I know. We've talked about that before, too. I'm telling you, everything about sports is screwed up this year, so it's hard to, like, follow any of this stuff. It's all mashed um, up. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I, I, maybe the fact that the draft is happening and the NBA is trying to start the season right away, it's all a sign that everybody sees us getting back to normal, and that's all we can hope for, right? And another NBA bubble. Yep. I'm all for bubbles. Give me, <laughs> give, me, give me all the bubbles, guys. I want bubbles full of people who are tested and safe every day. And if, you know, those people who choose not to get tested have to stay out of my bubble. And when that vaccine comes, just give it to me. I'm going to be first in line. I need to get out into the world. So... <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's transition over to the intersection of sports and queer and talk about more legal challenges on behalf of track star caster Semenya. Semenya, the two-time Olympic champion in the 800 meters, has been barred from international competition based on rules issued by the governing body, World Athletics. In April 2018, World Athletics announced new rules that require female athletes with conditions that they call, quote, differences of sex development which are conditions that lead to high natural testosterone levels. The rules require these women to lower their testosterone to below a specific level by taking birth control pills, hormone blocking injections, or getting surgery in order to be allowed to compete. Semenya, who is intersex, was assigned female at birth and identifies as female. She has challenged these new rules as discriminatory. She has twice lost legal appeals against World Athletics, first at, the, at sports highest court in Switzerland in 2019 by a two-to-one majority of the judges, and then at the Swiss Supreme Court this past September. After losing her Swiss Supreme Court appeal in September, the South African said, quote, I am very disappointed by this ruling, but refuse to let World Athletics drug me or stop me from being who I am. Excluding female athletes or endangering our health solely because of our natural abilities, puts world athletics on the wrong side of history. Without a rule change, Semenya will not be able to compete in the 800 meters, her best event, at the next Olympics. She is currently training in the hopes of qualifying for the 400 meter race, for which she is still eligible. This past week, Semenya announced through her lawyer that she will take her fight for 800 meter eligibility to the European Court of Human Rights. The European Court of Human Rights is a supranational or international court of the Council of Europe, which interprets the European Convention on Human Rights. The court hears applications alleging that a contracting state has breached one or more of the human rights enumerated in the convention or its optional protocols to which a member state is a party. An application can be lodged by an individual, a group of individuals, or one or more of the other contracting states. Aside from judgments, the court can also issue advisory opinions. It is not clear what legal impact a ruling from the European Court of Human Rights will have in this case. We will just have to follow this story to learn more. But a decision in Semenya's favor will, if nothing else, put significant pressure on World Athletics to reconsider its policies. Uh, Gabe, have you been following this ongoing legal saga? 
I have actually for a while now, because um, this story kind of fascinates me of, you know, how just how naturally born a person is and how that can affect you and what people perceive as you as, a, as an athlete. Um, right. and I just think it's really interesting and just like hard at how, you know, what, what's going on with, um, with Caster because it's not her fault. This is her body and this is, you know, it's part of genetics and it's just who she is. Right, she's done nothing wrong. She hasn't, you know. Yeah, she's done nothing wrong. It's not like she has been taking testosterone. She's not cheating. Testosterone levels, right? These are her natural testosterone levels. And at one of the lower court rulings, I'm not sure which one, the, oh no, actually, I think it was like in the first um, ruling from the World Athletics itself, and they took the position from their perspective, they say that Castor Semenya is male. And it's like, who the fuck do you think you are? <laughs> she was assigned female at birth. She's lived her entire life as a female. And all of a sudden, this sports governing organization is coming in and decreeing that she's a male. And that is just gross. Well, you know, and it's, yeah. one, it's one of those, because it's, it's, uh, it's a different, I guess way of categorizing people because you know when we talk about different olympians like they always compare it to michael phelps where he's like oh his huge torso and his large wingspan and his huge feet basically help him in the water um she just has a higher level of testosterone which helps her but there's other ways of you know what if she had athletes who have larger hearts or who can process oxygen faster there's different ways of I mean, arguably, every amazing athlete has something about them that that is unique, right? (laughs) Right? Like, I don't, like, if you took a man that was the exact same size and proportions of Michael Jordan with the exact same testosterone level as Michael Jordan and had them play basketball against each other, Michael Jordan would beat him every single time, right? (laughs) And (laughs) it's not just because somebody taught Michael Jordan how to play basketball in his, when he was 11, because you could teach all, every 11 year old boy how to play basketball. Nobody else is ever going to be Michael Jordan, right? So, you know, and I, it's just, it's, it's crazy. And I mean, it's funny. And we are so obsessed in our, in this world with gender and uh, you know, the, World Athletics essentially had forced her to get tested to get like a chromosome test to prove her gender through this chromosome test. And it's insane. Well, it's a crazy Um, thing that, you know, she was blowing away. These are the runners. And after she won, everyone was like, oh, well, she's not a female. Yeah, well, I mean, that was just it all started because competitors in other countries were lodging complaints and you know, claiming that she wasn't a female, which it's like, who the fuck, who are you people? You know? <laughs> you lost. Honestly, <laughs> like you lost the race. Your athlete isn't as good as the other athlete. Move on. Like, why are you going to attack a person's personal life um, f- for a fucking gold medal? Or I don't know. The whole thing is crazy. And, you know, it's interesting because um, some of the other top athletes in her specific race also have elevated testosterone levels. So I think there are like three women who are all currently banned from running in the 800 meters in the next Olympics. And they're all like in the top five of like times that have been uh, at any international competition for the, since the last Olympics. So it's like, this is, you know, I mean, it's not just her, you know, I don't think it's, it's obviously, it's not a 
large number of people or percentage of people, but it's not just her. Um, but they clearly, it appears that they designed this entire rule just to attack her as a person, which is so gross, right? Yeah, because if you look at the, uh, what is the IAAF or the, the International Association of Athletics Federations, um, the rule on the elevated testosterone levels, like the cap on what they consider male and female based on your testosterone levels, only affects three races. Yeah. And it's where uh, Caster's like the best at. Um, right. It's, it's between 400, 400 meter, 800 meter, 1500 meter. Those are the yeah. only. It doesn't, I, yeah. it doesn't impact, impact the 400 meter because that's what she's trying to qualify for. It has to be more than 400 meters, but less than a mile. Yeah. So it's like only the races that fall within that. And it, yeah, it's insane. It's gross. We have, and it's not just a United States problem. It's a world problem. There's a fucking fascination with gender and somebody needs to do something about it. Cause honestly, human beings are being discriminated against based on their physical characteristics that they were born with. And it's disgusting, right? I mean, these are the kind of justifications that people used to justify slavery. <sighs> it's, uh, it grosses me out. Yeah, and it's, yeah. I mean, in the medical field, I know a lot of doctors are saying that you're basically making her a patient if she wants to continue her career because you have to, you know, start taking these hormone suppressors and this medication that has a lot of side effects. Right. Well, and, well, the other thing, too, is like you either can have surgery that alters your body or you have to take these medications forever and as long as you want to keep competing. It's not like it's like, you know, it's not like taking a round of antibiotics. Yeah. And again, it's something that she can't control. Like this is just how she was born. This is her body. And, you know, it's tough. Normally, you know, we celebrate. Uh, yeah, you know, superheroes and Olympians, like, in their bodies, you know, because they're born with these different traits that make them super athletes, and it's the same thing here, but, you know, no, we can't because of her chromosomes, or how she, yeah. you know. That's right, and it's wrong, and it's discriminatory, we should all be ashamed of ourselves, <laughs> um, and yeah. I mean, I think that's it. That's the whole story. Um, obviously, I think we both support her in her legal cases. It doesn't sound, you know, from what I've read, this seems like a very like last ditch effort that um, nobody thinks is going to be a slam dunk for her, even if she gets a decision in her favor. Um, but again, like we talked about with the other topics, you know, it's all about changing hearts and minds. It's about swaying public opinion and getting to a place, hopefully in the not too distant future where everybody um, is treated with dignity and respect and with fairness and equality. Um, and so, you know, a decision from a court of human rights in her favor, I think would go a long way. Um, but this is also something that people should just be talking about and should be, um, you know, I think the, all American Olympians hopefully will stand behind her and support her. Um, let's see what happens, I guess. But that's, you know, I think we know that that's really what has to happen because I don't think it's going to be a court that puts her back on the track anytime soon. Yeah. And I know she's changing her event, but hopefully we see, uh, we see her in the 2021 Tokyo Olympics this summer. Yeah. 
I mean, it's the question is whether she'll qualify. Um, you know, she's never qualified for the 400 meter, which is the only race left, I guess, that she's training for that she would be eligible for. So we'll see. I, I mean, I wish her the luck. I wish her all the best and wish her luck for sure. That's this week's Under the Bleachers roundup of things queer, things sports, and things at the intersection of sports and queer. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to share our interview with Team DC Member Club, Capital Tennis Association. Today on Under the Bleachers, we are joined by Kevin and Noel from the Capital Tennis Association, better known as CTA. Welcome, guys. Go ahead and tell us a little bit about CTA. Yeah, absolutely. So um, CTA um, has been uh, running for 26 years now. In 1994, um, we are a um, LGBT and um, uh, an LGBT allies association that promotes its sport of tennis in the uh, DC area. Uh, we have about uh, 300 active members and we play uh, year long, indoors and outdoors. We um, we play at different venues throughout DC and Virginia, and we put together tournaments uh, throughout the year, two tournaments a year. We play league indoors and outdoors again, as I said, and uh, we do a lot of uh, social events for our uh, our members. And um, Kevin, do you have anything to add? Um, we are. I'll just say that we are teamed up. Uh, we're part of the GLTA, uh, Gay Lesbian Tennis Alliance World Tour, um, and they organize tournaments worldwide all, um, pretty much every weekend. Great. So when you guys are not traveling to tournaments, um, how is your league play structured? So we, um, we do both singles and doubles leagues. Um, so for um, the singles, of course, uh, no teams. But for the, um, uh, for the doubles, we do like a round robin. So we make sure everyone gets to play with everyone and we rotate around the court. Um, we also have a team tennis that runs once a year. And that's when you choose your doubles partner and we don't do a rotation. It's actually in a, in a team format. Another thing we, uh, sorry, team doubles. And another thing we do is team tennis and because um, we have different um, levels in CTAs, uh, open A, B, C, and D. So uh, we have teams of uh, five members in each team and each member is of a certain level and you have a captain on each team and then um, the teams compete with each other. And Kevin has actually run this, um, so he can tell you more about it. He's, uh, he's run team tennis for quite a few years now. Uh, so we have a bit of everything, you know, singles play, doubles play, teams play. Uh, we try to we try to mix it up because, you know, some people just want to play singles. Some people want to be a part of a team. Uh, some people just want to play doubles and some people just want to do it all. Yeah, um, yeah, uh, sounds good. We um, Team tennis is our probably our very popular league as well in the fall. Um, because as you know, tennis itself is mostly a, you know, it's a one-on-one -on -one or doubles, like four people on the court, but rarely are you in like a team environment. But um, <clears throat> yeah, once a year in the fall, we do put on our team tennis league where it is more of a team format and people are like teams of five and um, people come together and yeah, play more of a team and different levels. That's sort of similar to like the way like the Washington Castles play. Yes, correct. Yep. Got it. That sounds fun. And do you guys have, um, how do people end up in their ABC? Are you self-selected or do you have some kind of a 
process that people go through to get ranked? When you first join CTA, we ask you to self, um, uh, kind of self-rate to see where you are. And um, according to that, like say you, you chose A, you get a certain amount of points. And then once you, um, once you play your first match, um, and then it is kind of your numbers go up and down depending on how you do on that match and your opponent and their numbers. Um, because, you know, they have been playing for CTA probably for a while. So their numbers go up and down. Um, so that is how it's, it's, um, it's determined. Um, you know, you have some players that maybe started as D and now are, you know, B and they're going up. So um, we have a, we have a pretty cool system. Um, each player has a profile on our website and you get to see your match scores, how you're doing, your performance, um, and how you're progressing uh, with each match. Great, thanks. Um, can beginners come to join CTA? The, the great thing about CTA is that there's something for everyone, whether you've never hit a tennis ball or you're an open player. Each year we do a beginner's program in December, and it is actually free for members who, uh, for new members who join and are beginners. Um, and they get uh, to be trained by pros at, um, at Haynes Point. Um, so, um, and so if you've never hit a ball or if you're an open player, you know, CTA is for you, there's like different levels and, um, you know, everyone's so helpful, you know, we have the mentor program too. Um, so, you know, everyone tries to help everyone. Yeah. And we also run, um, clinics usually, usually in the summer we start, um, our more advanced players, our members who um, have been playing, you know, basically their whole lives, they will help out with organizing and running clinics um, for other members who want to, you know, improve their skills, you know, any kind of, they do drills, you know, serves and um, volleys and that play like that. So um, we'll do that a lot in the summer as well. Okay. And does CTA get together for any events off the tennis court? Yeah, absolutely. So um, we do a lot of events throughout the year, um, starting with we do we have two set socials a year, a Christmas party and a spring party. And we host that at the YMCA in uh, Virginia. And it's like five hours of um, free tennis uh, for our members. We we uh, we get the whole club and then um, we have catering and then uh Around each Grand Slam, you know, there's four uh, Grand Slams in tennis. Uh, we do a happy hour and we try to do it like make it like themed. Uh, so we try to pick a spot that is, you know, French for the French Open or kind of like, you know, British for the for Wimbledon. Um, we also do um, in February a heart social. We always try to, to, you know, using tennis, we try to create awareness for other issues. For example, in February, we do a heart social to raise awareness on um, heart health. And uh, we book courts at, um, Haines, at um, Rock Creek. And we actually get uh, the DC Fire Department to, um, uh, to give uh, CPR, uh, CPR training for our members. Yep. Um, in April, we host a um, Earth Day tournament, which is also a little bit social as well. Um, and we try to uh, uh, talk about awareness for Earth Day. Um, 
and during a team tennis, we do uh, cancer death awareness. Um, and, you know, we just have happy hours all year long. Great. Um, so, Kevin, uh, do you have a favorite tennis player? The, my favorite tennis player, I have to go back to old school. Um, growing up, I would was watching Boris Becker. Um, watching him play and playing Wimbledon um, throughout the years. Um, he is a fellow ginger like me and also similar style in playing tennis. He loved to get up to the net and play. Uh, he would do some crazy net uh, volleys and stuff like that. So I was always amazed at watching him. What about you, Noel? Does it have to be one? Can I choose a woman and a man? Sure. Okay, so for the women, it's Maria Sharapova. She recently retired and broke my heart. Um, and for men, it's Rafael Nadal. Um, I like both of them. I think that the thing they both have in common is their intensity. And um, I like players with a lot of intensity on court and a lot of fight. Okay. All right. Those sound like good enough reasons to me. I, uh, I, the last time I, I mean, it's been a while since I really followed tennis, um, closely, but there was a period in the early 2000s, I guess, where I was really into Andre Agassi. He was very fun to watch. You know, he always was, um, super invested in every match and it was just, you could just feel the energy coming off of him just watching it play. And I thought it, you know, it was a lot of fun. So... Oh, yeah, I agree. I loved watching him, too. He had great energy, and he seemed to even get better as his career advanced, as he was getting closer to retirement. He seemed to be getting better and better. I do recommend um, reading his book, even, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's one of the best books I've read, and it's not just about tennis. Oh, okay, that's cool. That's a good rack. Uh, either Kevin or Noel, I just am curious if either of you can explain to me um, why the scoring in tennis is so screwed up. <laughs> that is a great question. Um, Noel, can you answer that? I have no idea. Well, I mean, I had I had the same issue when I first started playing tennis. I am like, what? How did you come up with these numbers? But once you get a grasp of it, it's like it's like automatic. The um, um, I mean, the best thing about the scoring is like what I always tell people that it always with love in tennis because you know a zero in tennis is you know we call it love for some reason. Um, so that's that's one way to look at it. So as you know, Team DC's mission um, centers around inclusivity and LGBTQ participation in sports. Can you talk a little bit about CTA's mission and how inclusivity is important to CTA or you personally? I think tennis, I mean, and anything, I think there's always um there's always room you know room for more more inclusiveness but uh, tennis has definitely come a long way um i would have to say you know you have uh, players um you know former players and like billy jean king um who is a champion of, uh, of 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 the you know lgbt community uh and you know martina nabertilova um to be quite honest, like when I first started personally myself following tennis, um, I kind of, you know, knew and read that it's, uh, it's, you know, it has come a long way now and there's always, you know, more room for, uh, for inclusiveness and, um, 
but it's it's great to have you know folks like you know Billie Jean King and you know now you see tournaments uh, that actually do you know uh, the open night uh, open nights out like um, like the Miami Miami tournament um, and City Open this year so yeah even our City Open here in DC they've done that yeah. the past two three years I think um, so yeah there's um, you know it's it's always getting better. Well, yeah, and we hope that there's progress everywhere. Um, can either of you speak a little bit about the importance to you of having an LGBT-specific tennis organization here in D.C. or, you know, why that might be important to you or to the to the community at large? Um, yeah. Um, Kevin, do you want to start? Sure. I can, ju- I can just speak personally for myself. Like, um... I started with CTA five years ago, I think, back in 2015. Um, so I was living in Maryland for a while and then moved into D.C. Um, after ending a long-term relationship. And so I was looking to, like, just meet new friends. And, like, and I always loved tennis. I played a little bit back in high school, not on a team officially, but just, like, hit around. But then fast forward 20 years later, I'm like, oh, I want to get back into tennis. So, um it was just kind of like wanting to meet new people and get back, like, especially obviously gay people, um, meet new friends and play tennis at the same time. So I just literally Googled gay tennis DC and found CTA and that's how I ended up joining. So um, it just, yeah, it was important to me to be able to connect with other fellow gay players um, who are in the same situation as I am. So. Yeah, that was definitely helpful. Uh, for me personally, um, I mean, this was all new to me. I, I was born and raised in Lebanon where, you know, LGBT is, um, you know, has its struggles. Um, so after moving to the States and after, you know, moving to D.C., uh, when I first joined CTA, I joined in 2018. Um, I just... You know, I found a family and a safe space and a place where I can, you know, play an amazing sport and be around even, you know, more amazing people. And, um, you know, I met my best friends in this city through CTA and, um, you know, it it gives me like a sense of belonging to, to Washington in a way. So yeah. great. I appreciate you sharing sharing that. All right, so let's have a little fun. Um, I have some tennis trivia here to see if I can stump you guys. Are you game to give it a try? Yeah, absolutely. Let's try. I'm sure. Yeah, it's just for fun and there's no prizes. It's just for bragging rights. I don't even know who you'd brag to. But let's start with what I hope might be a little easy question. Um, who is the current world number one in the men's game, according to the ATP rankings? Rafael Nadal. My research tells me that the answer is Novak Djokovic. I think it was wishful. I think it was wishful thinking for it to be Rafa versus Joker, in my opinion. But. All right. Well, all right. So can you tell me who the current world number one in the women's game is, according to the WTA rankings? Ash Barty. Ashley Barty. Ashley Barty. That is correct. I've never heard of Ashley Barty. Where is she from? She's an Aussie from Australia. Oh, okay. Cool. 
Um, all right, let's try another one. How about who did Roger Federer beat in the final to claim his first Wimbledon title in 2003? Sampra? Pete Sampra? That's, uh, yeah, I was going to guess Sampras. Uh, <laughs> turns out I can't pronounce the names of very many tennis players, but I, according to this here, it's Mark Philippoussis. Are you guys familiar? Oh, really? Wow. Yes. Uh, he's only made it a couple times, right? To the finals, I think. Oh, yeah. Well, he got his name in a record book for something, I guess, right? Um, All right, Noel, we got to do better at this. Come on. <laughs> All right, let's try this one. What tennis superstar is the only player to achieve a golden slam? And it tells me in parentheses that that means winning all four grand slams and an Olympic gold medal in the same calendar year. Steffi Graf? Correct. Steffi Graf. I... <laughs> Let me ask you one more. How many Olympic gold medals has Andy Murray won? Two. Correct. That's a good one. Um, all right. Well, I, I am suitably impressed that you guys know, um, enough about your, your tennis and I, <laughs> so Kevin and Noel, um, we're going to let you go, but before I do, can you tell us where people can go to find more information about CTA or if they want to, um, find out when you're playing? Yeah. Capital-tennis.org. So that's our website, capital-tennis.org, and also follow us on social media on Instagram, Twitter, on Facebook at Capital Tennis CC. Awesome. All right. Thanks so much, you guys. It was fun chatting with you, and I hope we get to do it again. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Gabe. All right. Bye-bye now. Thanks for listening to this episode of Under the Bleachers. Under the Bleachers is proudly produced by and a product of Team DC. For more information about Team DC, please visit www.teamdc.org. We want to give credit to Ralph Elston, a Team DC board member, for the design of our logo. Also, our intro and outro music is provided by DC's Different Drummers Marching Band and was composed by Travis Gettinger. You can always find Under the Bleachers at underthebleachers.podbean.com and our podcast is also available on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast and share us with a friend so that we can all keep meeting Under the Bleachers. Under the Bleachers is hosted by Team DC Vice President Laura Freyer and Team DC Board Member for Fundraising Gabriel Hernandez. All views and opinions expressed are solely those of the hosts and the participants on Under the Bleachers and do not express the views of Team DC.